Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks, and welcome to episode 26 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, we're taking a look at the month of August and jobs that we need to be doing in and around the apiary. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me welcome once again to my weekly podcast and my thanks to those of you listening via the patreon page i really appreciate your support if you're not familiar with patreon it's a support page where you can help me create more content by signing up to one of my reward tiers and in return you gain access to additional content and support from me these start from as little as $1 per month, so I believe with the regular quality content I'm producing, $1 represents excellent value for money. If you've not yet started beekeeping and you're looking for help and assistance, pop over to my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk forward slash get started and I'll do all I can to help you out with suggestions and recommendations for you. As usual, I'll leave any relevant links for this week's podcast in the show notes. So it's August already. How on earth did that happen? This is episode 26, and I've no idea how the weeks have just raced past. For me, August is a kind of bittersweet month, really. On the one hand, it's really exciting, as this is when I take off our summer crop of honey. And on the other hand, it kind of signals the push towards the end of the season. For me, there is no move to the heather to grab a late crop of honey, and I don't have any midsummer to autumn flowering crops to benefit from either. So it really is a time to take stock of the honey production that we've achieved to the end of July. And this first week of August is really our extraction week. How you deal with your bees locally will of course depend greatly on whether you have alternative crops to take your bees to. But for me, my focus now turns to extraction, treatments for varroa where necessary, and then into autumn I'll feed to ensure the colonies are as well prepared as I can make them for the winter ahead, and that really is fast approaching. Of course, I'm saying all of this in the ongoing return of the heat wave we've been experiencing here in the UK this summer, and it seems a bit daft to be talking about winter, but now really is the time to get prepared. So let's look at what I'm up to this month, and that may give you some pointers as to what you might want to do, or maybe plan to do, depending on your local conditions. First off, I'm heading out literally as soon as I've finished recording this podcast to start placing my clearer boards on colonies that I've been using for honey production this summer. I spoke last week about my favoured clearer board being the rhombus type, and I'll be sticking with that again this year. One of the changes I have made this year to particularly my honey production was the introduction of the use of brood boxes. I wanted to produce an excess of brood frames that I could use immediately after the honey crop is taken off to boost the number of frames my ever-expanding nukes have in order to maximise the egg-laying potential of the new queens I've produced. I know some of you out there do this as a matter of course, but I've always previously used supers or shallow boxes for honey production. But this year, with the increases that I've put in place, I need the extra brood frames more urgently than ever. I'm hoping this is a good move, and from what I've seen so far, 
the bees have done a really good job in drawing out those brood frames. So I'm feeling quite positive about getting the nukes into full-size hives and seeing them build up going into the autumn. Of course, for me, heavy brood boxes full of honey pose a significant risk to my back. So I'm grateful to have some help in lifting them off the hives this year and also into the honey room for the extraction process. I guess it's a case of knowing your own limitations and seeking help when you can. I'd hate anyone else out there to suffer a bad back problem, so when in doubt, make sure you have some help to lift those heavy boxes. I'd quite like to get one of those automatic cranes fitted to the back of the pickup. These are the hydraulic lift cranes that you can use to lift up the heavy honey boxes and, in fact, any of your hives and move them onto your pickup or or vehicle without having that uh, back breaking load. I think for this season it's going to be a step too far in terms of expense so we'll probably leave it until next year and then take another look at it. Anyway extracting honey is very much on the agenda. I recently bought in some new honey buckets to make sure I've got enough storage for the honey crop. Just imagine getting it all extracted and not having enough buckets for it to go into. So do make sure that your buckets have been washed and prepared ready, or that you've purchased some new buckets ready to accept that new crop. And make sure that you get your buckets sorted early enough before suppliers go out of stock. This year I used Seawin Jones for my honey buckets. They're really lovely people, always very helpful, and their prices are very competitive. I'll put their details in the show notes for you. They have a nice new website too, so for anyone who's used them in the past via their old website, do go over and have another look. Things have really changed. Immediately following the removal of the honey, I'll look to treat colonies for the varroa mite that need it. I normally carry out uh, drone uncapping, and yes, there are still lots of drones in the colonies currently, so it makes for a very quick measure. I simply uncap around 100 drones and see what varroa mites I have. If I see any varroa mites, then I generally tend to treat. This year, for the first time in many, many years, I'm going to use apistan strips. These are a six-week treatment and therefore cover two brood cycles. The strips hang in between the frames, as with other treatment strips such as apitraz or apivar, and I place them close to the brood nest area as normal, usually somewhere between frames three and four, and then the second strip goes in somewhere around six and seven. It just depends on the size of the brood nest, really. The bees simply walk over the strips, picking up the treatment as they go, and once the six-week cycle is complete, it's important to remember to remove those strips, as the varroa can build up resistance to these treatments. While we're talking treatments, it's a good idea to mix up the type of treatments that you use each season. Don't stick with the same treatments year on year. So maybe use a thymol-based treatment one year, a pyrethroid treatment another, amitraz another, and so on. This will help prevent any chance of resistance building up in the varroa mites that you've got in your colonies. And remember, whatever treatment you do choose to go for, always read the instructions familiarize yourself with the method before you use it, make sure you understand the time frame that's required for use, and remember to dispose of any spent treatments properly. As an ex-seasonal bee inspector, I'm keen to encourage beekeepers everywhere to be proactive in tackling the varroa mite. This doesn't have to be a purely chemical or treatment-based process. 
you can incorporate a range of mechanical methods of control and include those in your routine as normal. It's known as an integrated pest management system and covers a range of options to incorporate into your beekeeping routine to help fight the varroa mite. For instance, the use of open mesh floors is a really good way to help. These have become the norm nowadays, whereas just a few years ago, solid floors were all that people ever used. Drone brood removal is another good IPM strategy. Because drones take up to 24 days to emerge from their cells, the varroa mites can be trapped into those cells and easily removed before the drones emerge. Yes, it does mean you have to sacrifice the drones, but it's an effective non-chemical method of reducing the varroa loading in your colonies. Why not consider buying a pack of drone brood foundation for next season and popping one frame of drone foundation in each colony, removing it when it's fully laid up and sealed? Remember though, you must remove it, otherwise all you'll do is help the varroa take an even stronger hold of your colony. At this time of the year, we're slightly limited in some of those methods of control, but you could also use icing sugar dusting, a shook swarm, or oxalic acid vaporisation to name just a few. Be warned though, as our summer moves quickly through August, time will run out very, very quickly for some of these treatments and methods. For instance, the shook swarm I wouldn't perform late in the season because the bees really need some time and warm overnight temperatures to draw out the foundation that you've shaken them onto. I recently posted a video showing a colony in one of Paul Beardmore's Happy Valley Honey Langstroth hives. I was concerned about the laying pattern and increase in disease in the colony, particularly sac and chalk brood. So much so that I requeened the colony. Another long story, but worth taking a look at the video on YouTube if you have time. Anyway, one of the things that concerned me was the irregular laying pattern this particular queen was showing. And even if you're not seeing disease, an irregular laying pattern could well be a signal of a queen with an impending problem, and you might want to consider requeening her sooner rather than later. What I mean by an irregular laying pattern is this particular queen was laying eggs in a few cells and then missing a few more cells and then laying eggs again, wandering around the frame and depositing eggs all over the place. And of course that meant over the following week or so, we ended up with a a brood pattern of varying ages, larvae developing in some next door to eggs, and the laying pattern wasn't what we wanted, which is a neat concentric pattern of larvae, older in the middle, moving to younger towards the outside of the frame, with maybe eggs in the outmost cells. Irregular laying patterns could mean that you get partway through winter and find she's become a drone-laying queen, or maybe just stopped laying altogether. If you've produced a few extra queens this season, now's the time to start looking at your colonies and consider if you will need to re-queen. Of course, the bees may have already made that decision for you, and you might find some supersedure cells popping up in those colonies from now through into the autumn. Supersedure cells may also pop up in colonies where you have an older queen, and the colony has simply decided it's time for a replacement. There's little sentiment involved with our bees and they'll simply replace and renew. I've seen two queens in a colony late into the season and wondered how long they would allow the old queen to remain. The next season she was gone and the younger queen is in her place. The bees obviously know best. 
Understanding the difference between supersedure cells, emergency cells and swarm cells is a crucial part of beekeeping knowledge and something that if you're a beginner you'll pick up and learn over a period of time. Often the hard way it has to be said but as you gain more experience you can spot issues creeping into the colony or you may know your queen is already let's say three years old or the odd drone cell maybe appears in amongst the worker cells indicating that your queen may be running out of sperm. Don't panic, check out all the pictures and literature, take a look at my videos and see the difference between the three types of queen cell and then make a decision about what to do and go with that. I'm sure it'll all work out just fine in the end, especially if you leave the bees to decide. They seem to have a knack for knowing what they need to do and when they need to do it, and they just get on with it. Anyway, we've another busy month ahead of us, so it's time to get cracking. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Sweet.